Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday and welcome to the Variety and iHeart podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up today, Luke Evans. We're chatting about the new season of The Alienist, returning to the role of Gaston for the Disney Plus Beauty and the Beast prequel series, and the plans that are in place to shoot his next TV project, Nine Perfect Strangers, during the pandemic. I'll be right back with Luke Evans after this short break. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. In the 20 years since Luke Evans launched his acting career, he has played Dracula, one of the Three Musketeers, and Bard the Bowman in Peter Jackson's Hobbit films. More recently, he's best known for playing Gaston in the 2017 live-action adaptation of Beauty and the Beast, a role he'll reprise in a prequel series for Disney+. Sunday, July 19th is also the premiere of the second season of TNT's The Alienist. He co-stars in the drama as newspaper illustrator-turned-reporter John Moore. I caught up with the 44-year-old Welsh actor from Ibiza, where he's vacationing before heading to Australia to film the Hulu adaptation of Nine Perfect Strangers from David E. Kelly and co-starring Nicole Kidman and Melissa McCarthy. Hi. You can hear me. I can hear you. Okay, awesome. I thought I was going to see you with pink hair. (laughs) (laughs) That went uh, (laughs) several several months ago now. My gosh, time has flown by. I know. How are you? I'm grand. Yeah. Yes. You're I'm very, very well. I've been following you on Instagram. I see you're in Ibiza. Yeah. How did you do at the beginning of all this craziness in the pandemic with quarantine? I know you did Beauty and the Beast sing along, which was fun. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was in Florida. Um, I spent the whole uh, quarantine of lo- lockdown in Florida. Um, and I tried to make the most of it. I tried to enjoy the the peace and tranquility and the lack of emails and the lack of <laughs> work. And, you know, I wasn't, there was no any preoccupation for me at all. So I just embraced that. And uh, yeah, I tried to look at the best part, positive aspects of, you know, being stuck at a home and going for long walks and thinking a lot and meditating and being creative. And it was also nice to be able to, you know, support the different charities and our our health service in the UK, you know, and uh, give them a bit of a tap on the back and encouragement and say, thank you. As as the months and weeks and months were going by, so, you know, nice to say thank you, even though I wasn't in the UK, you know, just to reach out and keep everybody's spirits up as much as we could, you know? So what, what were you binging? Everyone was binging something. What did you binge? Oh, well, I'm, I, I'm terrible. I'll start something and then I won't finish it. I'm, I've always been the same. But obviously, when you have nothing to do, you know, it became quite a thing. Like in the evenings, we would watch a show and by the end of the week, we would have finished the show. You know? <laughs> and we started with Ozark. Um, I hadn't seen it and I wanted to watch it. And uh, so we watched the whole three seasons in about two weeks. And then we moved on to Little Fires Everywhere, which was fantastic. Then I watched the morning show, which I had not got around to watching. That was brilliant. And yeah. My friend, my friend Jennifer Aniston, which I love to say, <laughs> my friend Jen, um, is, well, everybody's fantastic in it, but I thought her performance was just spectacular, a powerhouse performance. So, uh, yeah, we did that, did that, um, watched a lot of documentaries. Um, yeah, it's been fun. It's, you know, yeah. Oh, good. 
Let's talk about The Alienist, which I did binge the new season. Oh, you did? Yeah. It's really good. It's, uh, yes. It it's just, powerful stuff. It's what's amazing about it. I, I know this sounds silly. I'm old fashioned, I guess, but it's just the, 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 uh, attention to detail is just oh, yeah. so incredible. Just from yeah. obviously the wardrobe to just, you know, Dakota Fanning in her office. It's like I almost wanted to pause it just to see all the little things that are in it. Is it, am- yeah. is it amazing to make a, like a television series like that? It's just, it's really oh, it's magical. Each, each episode's a movie. It's absolutely magical. Um, I remember walking onto the set for the first time. And, you know, I've worked on some incredible sets. I've been very lucky to work on huge productions where I've seen, you know, that kind of detail, that that production detail. And this blew me away. It was as good, if not better, than some of the big movie sets that I've worked on. And so that was really, that was, it was just fantastic. But, you know, it, it, even my character, you know, I even had insignias on my hankies in my pocket. And, yeah, and I had, like, a, a beautiful... Uh, um, drawing kit because obviously he was an illustrator in the in the first season season and um, they'd made this incredible uh, like a folder with with the handmade paper inside and all the things that an artist from the early the late eighteen hundreds turn of the century would have had uh, and they were all authentic real historical pieces and you just you know the people that do that kind of thing. They are artisans and they, they, they take pride in what they do. And I guess when you're given a nice big budget, it must be just a joy to go shopping. And we were obviously in, in Budapest and I know that on weekends um, that she would go to Vienna and to Prague and to, to source, you know, pieces for our costumes or for, for the sets or, you know, it was really, really, really special. I loved it. What kind of difference does that, that make? Just those tiny, you know, you, you would think, people might think like, okay, you put on the wardrobe, you know, you see a horse and buggy and that's it. But when you're reaching into your pocket and seeing a monogram or opening that case and there are the drawings, how does that in, in just much completely change how it informs your 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 work? Absolutely. I mean, for a really simple example was a pocket watch. People don't have pocket watches anymore. Well, some people do, but you know that he has a pocket watch. So to tell to check the time, you know, he would have to pull it out of his hand, and the watch would have to be facing inward, so that when he lifted it onto his hand, it was looking at him and not the other way around. And it had a chain, and there was lots of little physical affectations that I acquired for John Moore's character, from how he was dressed to what he what pieces of utensils that he had to his character um it was really really it does inform me a lot i i've always said this about costumes they are the final layer of an actor's character you know and um and it it, it can make you stand differently it can make you feel completely different if you put on a uniform or you you know you i i played a, a a lieutenant commander of the american u.s navy a couple of years ago and it absolutely changed everything about me. I was like, I stood differently. I talked differently. I felt this air of, you know, command about me. And 
with John Moore, I felt very eloquent and very, you know, like a true gentleman. So it did exactly the job that it was supposed to do. Because the the wardrobe, the high-waisted pants that you wore and the vests just, I mean. Yeah, and the hard I, collars. Yeah. You know, there's like a cardboard collar and braces. And also one other thing is you can't get dressed alone. <laughs> <laughs> no one, nobody, no gentleman from that time would have been able to dress themselves. Right. It right. was extraordinary. So you, they all had to have a, somebody to help them, especially Dakota. I mean, she, she had an army of people to get out of that costume every night. <laughs> Yeah, I just, um, I just kept, I, I get fascinated by trying to find the little details. So like when you're on the street, I'm looking and I'm from New York. So I'm like looking for New York things. And mm. it's just, it's really beautiful. And it's just the lighting in the, in the series. Just oh, yeah. when you go yeah. into Dakota's office and it's this darker, Yeah, it's just, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, magical. Yeah, no, they did a fantastic job. I tell you what else is very impressive. I found is the subtle but brilliantly effective use of CGI. So obviously, we had this incredibly expansive real set, but to extend the streets, you know, when we're shooting, there would be a huge blue, huge blue canvas at the end of the street. And you always wonder, what's that going to be when, when the show comes out? And to watch the finished rendered version of what that street looks like, that takes my breath away. Wow. It's just like, that's really clever. How physical can we can, be, can merge with digital, like seamlessly. I would never no know. No one will ever know. I yeah. wouldn't until you no. just told me. Um, yeah. Let's talk about that engagement party scene. That oh gosh, yeah, yeah. was, first of all, was it real cake? Yeah. It was just, it was so over the top and just mm. full of pomp and circumstance. Tell me about walking right. into that scene, into that room. Well, that, that building in itself is an incredibly uh, grand space. Um, we used it in season one, actually, but it looked nothing like that. It was completely dressed differently. We also used many rooms off that huge main, that huge big hall where the, the engagement party was. But um, it's always fun when you do a scene where there's lots of extras, there's lots of movement, and there's there was musicians and cake and a and a car and like speeches and a huge sweeping staircase. And the, I mean, I know everybody had a lot of fun shooting that one because it was basically. Um, a night shoot we did it through 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 the night because there were so many windows in that place we'd have to cover them all up if we did in the day um but yeah it was it was magical and also you know the attention to the, the research that the set designers made uh did to talk about the cake for example that cake that they all put their hands inside the build the house to grab stuff i mean that's all from from stories and from from historical things that happened during that time at very famous people's parties you know, and to replicate one of the first cars as well. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's really impressive. But uh, yeah, no, I love those seats. Love them very much. So what did they set about another season? Do you want to do another season? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I know the three of us are uh, extremely busy over the next couple of years. I know that our schedules are very tight. But, um, you know, never say never, because the, 
I think season two has come out very, very well. And I think people really will embrace the new story and the new plot and the new characters. Um, and you know, it's always, it's always very sad when you, when you like the people you work with and you like the character that you're playing. It's very sad when you have to say goodbye to them when you're on set and you, you go through that final farewell, which obviously we have in this show as well, you know, episode eight. And I watched it recently and, you know, it's, it took me a little emotionally. I got, I took, got my, took my breath away a bit, you know, just to think that's them gone. Maybe they might not come back, but you know, you, you never know. You never know. I think if there's a, if people like it enough and there's a good story to tell and another murder to solve, um, we might see that threesome pop up again. Maybe who knows how now though, when like you talk about a scene with all those extras. Yeah. It's, now, every time I look at something like that, I'm like, when will we be able to film something like that again? Well, yes, that is the biggest question of all, isn't it? I mean, I'm about to start a television show in Australia and we all have to be quarantined in a hotel room. I can't see anyone for two weeks. I have to be tested every other day everything is going to be delivered to my room and I have to stay in a room in Australia and not leave it for two weeks just so that we can then be free to go and shoot something. So if that's the sort of thing that has to happen for a very small cast, actually, I can't imagine how they will be able to do it. I mean, we are going to have to come around to working this out somehow, right, in the future. But who knows how that's going to work and when it will happen. I mean, it's, it's just a... It's mind-blowing to think what we've been through and how it's changed so many aspects of our daily life and our work and our careers. And, uh, and there's still no end in sight. I mean, that's the scary bit. I'm going to take a short break right now, but when I come back, Evans reveals just how far along they are in the Beauty and the Beast prequel series for Disney+. Plus. Hey everybody, this is Jake Brennan, host of Disgraceland and the 27 Club. I want to talk to you about another podcast that I produce called Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story. Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story is a 10-episode look at the madness and genius of record producer Phil Spector. Phil Spector and the music he created shifted and shaped American culture. But behind his famous wall of sound, there was a darkness, violence, and an intense inferiority complex that those who knew him and worked with him were all too familiar with, and that led to the senseless murder of actress Lana Clarkson. With Phil's recent death in the news, Blood on the Tracks has become all the more relevant. Just like Phil Spector, this podcast sounds like nothing you've heard before, because you can't push the needle into the red without leaving a little blood on the tracks. Listen to Blood on the Tracks, the Phil Spector story on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. Here's more of Luke Evans. So is Australia Nine Perfect Strangers? Is that what you're doing? Yes. <sighs> yes. My favorite, Nicole Kidman. Oh. Yes. So, I'm very excited. Yeah, so tell me about that. Nicole Kidman, Melissa McCarthy. Nicole Kidman yeah. has like some crazy resort spa woman. 
Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's gonna. It, it's such a great book, and I, and the script David E. Kelly has did has done a, a brilliant job bringing these characters from the page to a script. I mean, a really difficult job to adapt books. I don't know how how where you would begin, but he's done a really great job, and um, it's going to be a fun experience. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, I'm going to live in Australia for six months, you know, hopefully it'll be uh, nice and sunny and <laughs> beach days and uh, a COVID free life, I hope for everybody. What about the pressure though? You're going Big Little Lies, David <laughs> E. Kelly, Nicole Kidman to David E. Kelly, Big Little Lies, yeah. same author. Do you feel that pressure? Yeah. Like, you know, people are going to mm. say, is this the next Big Little Lies? Yeah, no pressure there. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think it doesn't feel very anything like Big Little Lies at all. I don't feel there is any comparison to be drawn there, I don't think. Maybe it'll feel different when you see it, but um, yeah, we're jumping into, uh, we, have, we have a caliber already set up of what the work, of, of you know, um, the work is, and we've seen it, so. It'll be interesting. It's very funny. It's a very funny story. It's very dark, but it's incredibly funny, which I'm really I'm excited about because I like I like comedy and I like dark, dark comedy, and I don't get to do very much of it. I was just going to say so you haven't done so, much comedy. <laughs> no, no. Um, so that's what I'm looking forward to. But uh, yeah, just going to try and make the best thing we can, and hopefully people will enjoy it. But we are starting with a brilliant cast, and obviously I. I'm a big fan of Nicole's and Melissa and, you know, I feel a few other, other actors that haven't been announced, but uh, it's, it's a really interesting mix of people and, and, and great talented uh, folk are involved. So, uh, you know, the cocktails, the ingredients are all there. So it could be a tasty cocktail. Who knows? And I have to ask you, of course, about Beauty and the Beast prequel. What's happening? Is it happening? Is it, do you have your heard new songs? When do you start production? Tell me everything. Well, I can't tell you a huge amount, but I'll tell you that uh, it is happening. Um, Josh and I have read three episodes, I think, two or three episodes now. We've heard the, some of the new songs written by Mr. Menken himself. Um, we are so excited about this. Um, it's going to be a joy to work with Josh again. I mean, me and Josh have chemistry. I, as friends, we had it, and then, and then luckily it, trans, it, it transferred to the screen and, and people got it. They got the character. So it's going to be a joy to bring to, to life a new story, a new story that you, no one knows. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, but it's all coming together. It's all come together very nicely, rather quickly, actually. Um, and we hope, hopefully, production will start sometime next year when Josh and I are going to have the, the window to shoot it, yeah. So are you yeah. surprised to learn what Gaston's backstory is? <laughs> <laughs> How about, who are we going to see cameos from? Are we going to see? Oh my Dan God, Stevens I mean, a smorgasbord of cameos. Can you imagine? <laughs> and we, you know, you never know who will pop up in this show. Um, never know. <laughs> Did you ever think when you were making the movie that, you know what, there's a limited series in here for a backstory? Weirdly, we, people, I mean, 
because we were the we were the sort of the fun we were the la- we were right. the guys that people laughed at you know um we would often talk about you know at home with gaston and lefou you know or, or lefou and gaston go on a road trip or <laughs> lefou and gaston have a cookery sh- cooking show <laughs> or uh, you know uh, a, a, a men's healthcare chain you know <laughs> it just it went on and on and on and then i think that fans put that, our names together and made gafu so you know like they've got you know Brangelina and all those different uh, now there's a gafu so um yeah i mean it, no we didn't it, but we had, we always we joked about it a lot so the fact that it's now happening is just a joy i mean josh and i have been wanting to work together again for a very long time so we have uh, we have a film with netflix and now we have this disney plus thing which is going to hopefully be a joy to make to dump to step back into the, the world of Disney and the music of Alan Menken and the characters that which we totally loved and um, so yeah, it's uh, it, it's gonna be fun. I'm very excited about it. And then one last question: Tell me about the first audition you went on, whether you got the role or not. My first audition. Oh, I remember my first my first audition was for a musical called La Cava, which was written by a woman called Dana Broccoli, who was the wife of Cubby Broccoli, who produced James Bond, and whose daughter is Barbara Broccoli, who is now the producer. And I was 20 years old, I think. I just graduated from college, and it was my first audition, and I went into their offices on Park Lane in London in this grand building, which is basically the offices of James Bond, the, the film. And I sang in front of a huge conference table with all of them watching. And uh, the, music, the musical director turned up the, he said, well, I'm gonna put this up. I can see that you can sing higher. We're gonna change the key. And I just had to sit there and hope to God that my voice wouldn't crack because it was a huge song. And um, I went home that night and the following morning I got the job and I I played the juvenile lead. Yeah. And my character was called Theodomir. Theodomir? Theodomir, yeah. (laughs) And I I had the finale song which was magical. And I think my friends and family saw it about a hundred (laughs) times. Luke, thank you so much for this. This was great. Thank you for taking taking the time. Um, congratulations on the series again. Like I said, my husband and I watched it and we really got into it. We were just sitting there with like, we just wanted to wear your clothes. I mean, it was all about your wardrobe. Yeah, yeah. I know. The wardrobe is beyond. So that. what did you bring home from set? What do you bring home from a set like that to remember things? I So I started to collect the rings of my characters. I, only because I seemed to have a ring with all my characters. They all had a ring. Dracula had a ring. Gaston had a ring. Um, uh, John Moore had a ring. And I've, I have a really beautiful collection of one-off rings. And my ring has my initials crests. I had the crest on, on John Moore's ring. So I kept that. That's the thing. I mean, I asked for it as well. I'm a good boy. I don't, I don't steal props. Um, but that's what I, that's what I kept from, uh, from, from John Moore's uh, character. Awesome. Thank you, Luke. Have a good one. Stay safe. Be well. Take care. Bye. 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 
That was Luke Evans. Thanks for listening to this week's Big Ticket. Coming up next week, Boyd Holbrook, star of The Fugitive, the Quibi adaptation based on the television series and film of the same name. You don't want to miss it. Until then, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Stay safe, be well, and don't forget to wear a mask. I'll see you next week.